right, so I've got my trusty stopwatch, and here they come down the hill. It looks like Ruben is in the lead, and here comes out. Oh, why I don't go shooting with my husband. Because <laughs> I'm liable to do something stupid like that. Good morning and welcome to Timber Creek Church. Uh, we're so happy that you're here. We are smack dab in the middle of this um, interesting new series called Stupid. If you missed it last week, go to our church website, timbercreekchurch.com, and you want to definitely catch up on what you missed last week. Uh, well, I guess Pastor Jeremy decided he'd give me a super easy one for this week. Because today, the stupid thing that we're going to learn about so that we don't hurt ourselves is this rare sin that I'm sure no one struggles with called pride. And that's how I felt when he asked me to preach on this. Of all things, I literally threw my head back and I said, are you kidding me? Of all sins to talk about, this has to be one of the most uncomfortable, hard sermons to preach. And do you want to know why that is? It's because those who need to hear it don't think they have it. Everybody thinks they don't have pride. So the moment I say it, half of you just said, oh, this is easy for me today. I have no pride. And yet you're probably the very one who God gave me this message for. So here's what I need from you today. I'm going to be as transparent as I can. See, I've got to humble myself today and share stories that I promised you I've never wanted to share in my lifetime that's going to whittle away and hack away at my pride. But here's what the Lord needs you to do. You need to know that first of all, in order for you to get hardly anything out of this message today, you've got to have a hunger to know God more. I mean it, and you're going to understand later. See, if you don't have a hunger to know God more, everything else I'm going to say today means nothing. But secondly, you need to do like what I've had to do the past two weeks and be willing to let the Holy Spirit examine your heart. Because pride is tricky. We tend to think people with pride are the ones that look like peacocks walking around, right? Feathers full for display. Like we think the prideful people are the easiest ones in the room to pick out. And while that might be true for the sinner, for the Christian with pride, they're much harder to detect. And so we're going to have to dig a little deeper in God's word this morning. And like pastor said the other day, when we take our children to get vaccinations and we have to have that needle stick their chubby little thighs and it hurts and they cry and they look at us like, what have you done to me? There might be moments in the sermon where you feel like God, not me, God has an injection he's injecting into you, but it's to save your life. It's to help you prosper. Because the third thing I need from you this morning and what God needs is for you to recognize and understand that where you are right now is not where he wants you to be forever. That God always has a plan and he always has a purpose. And where you are right now is not at the end of that purpose because you're still breathing. We're not done with God's work until we see him face to face in heaven. Amen? But there is something the enemy uses that causes us to be unproductive as Christians. 
There's something he uses, and he's used it since the beginning in the garden. The tactic he used on Adam and Eve still has still proven to be effective today. And it is the trick of pride. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, I need you. <laughs> we all need you in here this morning. Because we, we don't want to be the same person in 20 years that we are today. In fact, maybe some of us this morning have regressed and taken steps backwards. God, we want to go forward with you today. God, would you give us eyes that can see you clearly this morning? God, would you just give us ears that can hear your voice? Would you give us hearts with good soil in them for the planting of the seeds of your word today? And Father, finally, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and give us courage to walk this thing out for the rest of the day in the weeks and months and years to come. Lord, help us be moldable in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. We all know it. Plans to prosper you and what? Not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And that is the foundation upon which we need to build this thing today. Because everything that the Lord is going to say to you today is built with love. It's built to help you accomplish what he's called you to do and to become who he died for you to be able to become. And we want to talk about this trick that Satan uses called pride. And all of us have struggled with it. If you're lying, that's pride. <laughs> you're not saying it because you're prideful and don't want people to admit that you struggled with it. And I'd have to say I've been the queen of it. Because there are some things that pride has said to me that have caused me to take nibble on the bait, on the hook of pride, that has snared me and caused me great pain. So let's look at quickly at a few stupid things pride says. And I know we watch these videos and we think, why would they ever like jump off of three, five layers of rubber trash cans and do a backflip? What, and, and like expect to not crash. Why on God's green earth would they bounce on an exercise ball and try to do a backflip and not get hurt? That's stupid. And yet we think we can arrive and be productive and effective as Christians with these pitfalls of pride we keep falling into. It's equally as stupid. And what God wants to do today is help us to identify these pitfalls. We're going to go through three tricky pitfalls of pride, and we're going to learn how to overcome them. Are you ready? Let's jump into your notes this morning. What we want to do is find out what pride is first, because some of us have a wrong picture of pride. Let's look at what it really is, and there's no one better who I trust to tell us what it is than Joyce Meyer. Here we go. <laughs> Joyce Meyer says, pride is an independent, me-oriented spirit. It makes people arrogant, rude, and hard to get along with. I know that's not anyone in this room, right? When our heart is full of pride, when it's prideful, we don't give God the credit and we mistreat people. We look down on them thinking we deserve what we have. Another quote says that it is the ultimate escape from reality. What a weird definition, but chew on that one for a minute. Pride is what? It is the ultimate escape from reality. Pride makes you think you're someone you're, everyone else knows you're not. 
but it isn't it it's an escape from reality it is in a dangerous escape in fact pride denies sin is a problem oh my goodness I gotta stop there how do you know you may have pride in your life when God starts putting his finger on something and you tell him to back off oh you don't say it with your words but you say it with your actions See, pride keeps us from admitting we have sin in our lives. It exalts self and self-effort. It denies a need for God and refuses his help. It attributes accomplishments to human ability rather than God's gifts. That's pride. I love what uh, the, the ancient Catholic archbishop Fulton Sheen says about pride. He said, pride... It's really an admission of weakness. Isn't that weird? Hold on. I know that sounds like, like, a, like an oxymoron, right? He says, pride is an admission of weakness. Why? Here it is. It secretly fears all competition and dreads all rivals. Did you hear that? It secretly fears all competition. Prideful people have to go to great extremes and measures to always be the best, look the best, sound the best, accomplish the most, do the most, be the most perfect, because what they really fear is for it to be outdone by someone else. In fact, they dread all rivals. They do great until someone prettier walks in the room. They feel really good at work until the new supervisor's hired and can do circles around them. And now pride shows up. It dreads all rivals. Proverbs, let's see what God says about pride. This is a very interesting scripture. We're going to dissect it for a moment. Are you ready? Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 says this. These six things the Lord hates. Everyone says hates. We just said hates in church. Oh, Lord, help us. I can tell you there's very few scriptures like this. In fact, I can't think of another one right now. But this is one of the few where God uses a very strong word. What does that tell us this morning? Yeah, this is a very serious issue. It's so serious that it's the first one on the list of the top six of God's hate list. He says, indeed, seven are repulsive to him. A proud look which means the attitude that makes one overestimate oneself and discount others. Now, three things. Let's look at this quickly. Let me teach you how to some interpret scripture, guys. Look at this. Number one, what do we see here that pride is? It's an attitude. It is not a parade or demonstration necessarily. It's an inward attitude that maybe no one else sees but God. And number two, it overestimates self. It overestimates self. But you want to know what it also does that's so harmful? It discounts others. It makes other people feel less. It makes other people feel like they can't measure up when you walk in the room. It discounts others. Proverbs 16, 18 says this. Pride goes before destruction. Did you, did you hear that? What goes in front of destruction in your life? Pride. It also says a haughty spirit before a fall. And any of you guys who have lived long enough know that's true, isn't it? That pride goes before destruction. 
on the path of this thing called life. The enemy loves and is very good at, everyone listen, the enemy is super good at knowing God's plan for your life. He cannot foretell the future, but he can repeat what God has said to you already. And the enemy loves to dig pits for you to fall into along the way. And if you think I'm making this up, try living for Jesus for longer than like a month. Now, you new Christians, it's like Jesus just like floats you across around all the little pitfalls because you're so new and it's precious. But there's coming a time he's going to teach you to walk on your own with him leading you and guiding you from a distance. And you better learn how to recognize these pitfalls. And the enemy knows the season of life you're in. And he knows the right pit to dig at the right time. And this is what else he does. He's super good at cleverly covering that pit. I guess we're going to use Swiss Family Robinson as the Disney theme for the series because last week Pastor mentioned it. I'm going to mention it again. There's a scene in Swiss Family Robinson where old little boy, I can't remember his name. He's super cute. He decides that he can't do all the great things his big brothers can do to rescue uh, his family from the pirates. But he's going to dig himself a pit and catch him a tiger. I'm so glad you said that. I almost said lion. It was a tiger. (laughs) and so what does he do he gets these palm branches and and he gets all of these sticks and he tries to make the pit look like there's not even a pit there and that's what satan does with pride and i'm telling you christians who have been saved for a while we are so susceptible of going through life now that we're saved and sanctified thinking that we are above and incapable of falling into such a pit anymore And what we're going to do today is we are going to identify three pits. I believe the Lord gave me three pits he wants you to watch out for. I'm sure there are 100. I'm sure there are a million. But three, I believe, that that are going to touch some of your lives today. Let's look at these pits carefully. And as we go through these pits, remember what Satan designed them to do. Pits were created to prevent your progress. Pits are created to prevent you from who God has called you to be. Pits are created for you to fall into them and get stuck. See, because God's about taking you somewhere. But these pits of pride were created to prevent your progress. So that's why it's important to see them for what they are so we don't fall in. Are you with me? You still love me? Oh, good. Here we go. You might not in a minute. Number one, pride prevents me from allowing God's restoration of my relationships. If you have a pen, I want you to circle the word allowing. See, you have a part to play in this whole thing of becoming like God. But something happens with relationships. Hang on. Oh, don't give me that. I know what you're thinking. You've never dealt with this before. That's for someone else next to you. But really the root of unforgiveness is pride. To protect self. In fact, there is this quote unquote justified unforgiveness we feel. I am justified to not forgive him. You don't understand what they did to me. And it's pride. It's hurt covered by pride. There's also, for this person who struggles in this pit, there's an unwillingness to apologize. 
Oh, I know, your wife, I just saw several wives turn and look at their husbands. You guys gotta learn to apologize. Can I be honest with you? Okay, so this is one of those stories. When I got, before I got saved, I'm not speaking for all of you teenage girls out there, but I was super prideful. In my family, not necessarily my mom, my mom's the most godly, wonderful, virtuous, it's not, I don't like even hardly being around her sometimes, she's like, Jesus, it makes me feel convicted. But dad, on the other hand, God rest his soul, and I love my dad. But my dad and his family, who I love, taught us that second place is no place. There was an unspoken rule or pressure I grew up with that I had to be the best or I wasn't much. I remember I felt like I had to be the prettiest and if I didn't hear people tell me I was pretty, I would feel uh, like I had to do more to show that I was pretty. And I also remember I felt like I had to be the smartest, that I needed to accomplish what my dad accomplished and what my Aunt Anna accomplished and was homecoming queen and captain of the football team and the perfect people. And Kaisa puts a lot of pressure on someone. And then, and then I got saved. And I was dating this guy for a while before I was saved and we were still together. Bless his heart, God had to, <laughs> he watched me go through some pretty grueling seasons. And the first thing I had to learn to do as a Christian, I remember this so well, and please, I'm not even being funny, but up until this point, I had never told someone I was sorry. And he and I had gotten in this big fight. It was his fault. Okay, (laughs) kidding, kidding. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. And he said, it's time for you to apologize. And Timber Creek, as God is my witness, you might as well told me to go jump off the the Brooklyn Bridge. Like anything but saying, I'm sorry. It was like prying someone's knuckles from a death grip. I didn't want to. In fact, I told God no. I'm sure you've never done that before. I told God no. And about a week later of this nagging, haunting voice in my heart saying, you know you're in disobedience to God. I told you to say you're sorry. I finally mustered up the strength to say the words, I was sorry. And my boyfriend about fell on the floor because he'd never heard me say that before. And I want to be honest with you. I had a very hard time getting the words out. That might be funny to some of you, but that's absolutely how stinky and rotten and awful the pride was in my heart. See, when you surrender to Jesus, he goes to work in you and he will cause you to do things that you said you would never do. And I had to learn to say I was sorry. And I want to just say this to those of you in the room this morning. Uh, Maybe you have a much more difficult situation in your family or with your spouse or even your teenage daughter. And Jesus this morning is saying, be careful not to fall in the pit of pride that leads to unforgiveness. Be careful to not fall into that pit of arrogance that keeps me from apologizing. Because what that does, I want you to hear me, what does pride do? It prevents progress. Jesus takes this very seriously. Everyone listen to me. Jesus says, if you're gonna bring an offering to me and you have something in your heart against someone, go take that gift back. I don't want it. Go get right with your brother or sister first. Do you know the word of God says that? What does that mean? 
that this is not a laughing matter with God. That he wants us to be in unity with each other and unforgiveness prevents progress and pride is the root of the problem. The second pitfall. Pride prohibits my ability to surrender to the work of God in my heart. See, what happens is, is we get saved, and some of you guys have been saved for a long time, and you stopped this somewhere along the way. See, the way to go from glory to glory, everyone listen, the way to go from glory to glory, to get to where God's called you to be, to live the abundant life that God died to give you, is to surrender. It's kind of upside down, isn't it? Well, I was raised that you don't surrender. I was raised that you don't give. I was raised that you are to be the best, that you are to conquer, that you're to be the wasp man standing. But this is an upside down kingdom. And for some reason, Jesus says that, that pride prevents progress. It doesn't accelerate progress. Do you hear me this morning? Pride prohibits your ability to surrender. I mean, it's wonderful to accept Jesus as Savior, isn't it? I mean, he died on the cross. He washes you from your sins. He makes you all brand new, just so cute, and new converts and excited about Jesus. And then he starts talking to you about you. Then he starts talking to you about stuff that's in the way of you and him. And something rises up in you. You want to know what that is? It's pride. And it hardens your heart. Everyone listen, this is scary. Because it's very subtle. It comes out of nowhere. He, he starts talking about things we need to let go of or forgive or, or do differently. And instead of surrender and obedience, we stiffen up and reject what he's saying. Maybe you don't even acknowledge that was God's voice in the first place. Because then you feel better about not doing what he said to do. Anybody been there? You know what's really funny is at one point, there's so many different stories in the Bible like this where God tells someone to do something and surrender and they decide they're not going to do that thing, but they'll go do all these other great things for God. They're going to do all these other things. God hadn't talked to you about any of them. He's talking to you about that one right there. But you don't want to talk about that one right there. You don't want to surrender that one. That's your, that, that's your Benjamin. That's your precious. That's your precious. But Jesus, here's what we'll do. Let's make a deal. We won't touch her or that situation, and I will instead get in starting point. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to get involved on a dream team. I'm going to start leading a group. And Jesus said, I told you to break off that relationship. See, he says, I don't want your sacrifices. The Bible says, I desire. He's, God said, I desire obedience and not sacrifice. And some of you can't obey because you are not surrendering because of your pride, because of what it, you think it will cost you. Let me tell you, friend, I've seen so many people lose everything because of their pride. I've seen families in this church fall apart because someone was unwilling to change and surrender to God and give up that one thing. And it's that one thing that drags them all the way to hell. Guys, he died for forgiveness of our sins, yes. But you want to know why else he died? John 10.10 10 says, Jesus said, I have come so that you may have 
life. Life in all its fullness. Another translation says life more abundantly. And you need to understand that what you think you're holding on to, is it, it's, it is rubbish. It is garbage. It is trash compared to the great things that God has waiting. And you will not obtain what God has until you obey and surrender to him. The third pit we fall into is when pride hinders me from not just letting him work in my heart. No, no, no. This one goes a step further. This pit keeps me from following God's plans for my life, causing me to fall short of my God-given potential and ultimately my destiny. Pride believes my plan is better than God's. <laughs> I've told him that, actually. I actually have said that to him several times. I said, really, God, if you would have just, like, done what I saw was best in that situation, I believe we could have avoided some of this. Can I just say I still struggle with that one? I'll just be real. I still sometimes question things. I'll be, I'm human. But pride says, not just I'm not willing to surrender, but sure, God, that sounds like a great option. I ain't following that. I really prefer to do it this way. So it's less about giving up something. It's, it's more about turning in the right direction and following and trusting him to get you to where he's called you to be. In fact, I think a lot of us would never admit that out loud. But we scream it with our actions and our decisions. So God starts telling you to take a different turn here in your life. But it might mean you make 20000 less a year. And so now I'm not going to follow that plan. <laughs> because surely it cannot be the will of God to cause me to make less money. And yet God has something else at this new job that will cause you to move up and more use the gifts God has given you to do what he's called you to do. Pride can prevent your follow. In fact, pride doesn't want to hear what God has to say about areas in my life that don't match where he wants me to be. Don't want to hear it. You want, okay, let me just tell you a little secret. You want to know how you can know if you're struggling with this? If every time you get in worship or the presence of God, you start to feel really uncomfortable because that thing he told you to go do, you still haven't done. Do you know what I'm saying? And you start to negotiate and barter with God on a different plan. That's how you know you're in pride right there. You think you know better than God. You're no different than Eve. I'm no different than Eve. We've all been there. But the trick is that Satan wants us to think that our plan really is better. And guess what we do? We then forfeit the plan of God and get on all of these, listen, detours. Oh my word. If I had $5 for every detour I have taken off of the plan of God, I would be a millionaire. And you know what? It wastes time, frustration. I believe that there are consequences to those detours. Guys, pride will keep you from following God's plan. Now, none of this is good news yet, right? I have good news coming because I want to teach you quickly on how to avoid these pits. So we have three pits, the pit of unforgiveness, the pit of not surrendering, and the pit of refusing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and his plan. Are you with me so far? You want to learn how to avoid these? I do. Number one, and I know this sounds so basic, 
but you have to admit you have pride in your life. <laughs> and for those of us who struggle with pride, we laugh. That is the hardest step. I know you're successful. I know you're the boss of like 50 people, but you've got pride in your life. And you're no different than the person working somewhere else that doesn't own a business or doesn't have, do you hear me? We have to admit no matter where we are in life, we have to admit we have pride in our lives. So here's the deal. Like everybody else knows you're in the pit. Everybody else smells the fact that you're in the pit. But we have people stuck in pride saying, I'm not in a pit. And they're dirty and they're stuck and they can't move and they're scared, but yet they'll still tell you because of their pride, I'm not in a pit. I'm good. You've got to admit you have pride. Get this. This is just mind-boggling to me. In fact, it's, it comes from a secular organization. I believe it's AA, but it says this. Before a person can really correct a problem, pattern, a behavior. Everyone listen. Before a person can really correct a problem, pattern, a behavior, they have to humbly admit they have the problem. And to admit a problem is to acknowledge a shortcoming. Uh-oh. Prideful thinking is a major barrier to recognizing and correcting any of the many problematic social behaviors common in the disturbed character. That is not the Bible, and yet it is very biblical. These organizations that are not faith-based are saying, we even recognize that the people we're trying to help won't go anywhere until they admit they have a problem. So that's step one. Step two, repent of your pride. We use a churchy word and people think repentance is like this long, elaborate, no. Repent means change your mind. Everyone look at me. That's all repent means. Repent means I'm changing my mind. I am not going down that path anymore. It is not based on emotion. And some of you are waiting to repent of things until you feel sorry for them. And God said, if you will make a decision to repent, the feelings will follow. The feelings will follow. Number three, the, three way, the third way to avoid the pitfalls of pride is to choose to surrender to God's work in your heart. Key word, choose. You know what's kind of frustrating about God sometimes? I love you, Lord, but it's kind of frustrating. And I think you might agree with me. I feel like it would be easier if he just waved a wand over us and like touched us and we became these perfect people. Or I think it would be really super amazing, and like if he really wants me to get there, can he just operate like a puppet master in my life? Hook my arms and my mouth and my ears and my feet onto his plan and make me go where he wants me to go. But that's not how God operates. He gives us a very special gift called free will. So we get to choose. Everyone say choose. You get to choose whether or not you cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He ain't gonna make you. He will strongly suggest you do things. <laughs> but he won't make you. So you have that, that, this is a very important step. Everyone listen. The choice is yours. In fact, God was dealing with the people of Israel here in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet who God spoke through to many, many people. 
and God's people were really far from him or were making some, and were making some wrong choices. And God tells Jeremiah to go talk to these people. And here's what God tells this man to say. Look in your notes at Jeremiah 18, 1 to 6. It says, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me. What did he do? Hmm, interesting, huh? He did as God told him and found the potter working at his wheel. Guys, let's cue that video. I want you to take a brief look at what Jeremiah might have seen that day at the potter's house. I'm Jim Levitt. I run Emerson Creek Pottery. Um, I've been doing it for over 30 years. We start with a piece of clay. We take it to the wheel and get the wheel spinning and we throw the clay onto the wheel to make it stick. That's what we call throwing. Once the clay has been centered, we add more water and we open the clay up by pushing down into the center of the clay, which kind of makes a volcano shape. And we'll do that numerous times until you get the uh, wall thickness where you want it. Again, adding water all the time to allow it to uh, give to your hands. If you didn't use water, the, the clay would, uh, would resist a lot and you'd have a lot of trouble actually forming it into any shape. Um, it might even tear and fly off the wheel. As we're shaping the, the clay, we're, we're, we're handcrafting until we get to the desired shape. So when you have an idea in mind and you're shaping it and the clay is cooperating, it's, um, it's very satisfying. So the key ingredient in effective pottery making is what? Water. You know, that third step of avoiding how to avoid pitfalls, it's a choice, but it's, it requires you to trust God. It requires you to, to spend time with him and let him pour that water of his spirit, of his presence into your heart. See, some of you, the reason you're having a hard time with Christianity or getting back on the right track is because your clay is very hard. And what that means is, see, in the Bible, water represents the Holy Spirit. And when we mix clay with water, the potter can mold. The very slight change of the finger creates a completely different shape when the clay is moldable. Did you hear what he said? If there wasn't water, the clay would begin to crack and would eventually even fly off the wheel. And I don't know who this is for this morning, but I know the Lord has made me preach this <laughs> against my better judgment or comfort. And what he is saying is, for some of you, I don't know who it is, but I feel like there's someone in here that you, you've been thrown off the wheel. And it's because you stopped having that time with God. What was once very precious became very common. 
and now you're very dry. And there's not a lot of, of pliability to your heart anymore. And the Lord in his love and in his mercy is speaking to you today. And he's saying, I need you to remember the importance of water. I need you to remember the importance of my presence. I need you to remember the importance of loving and devouring my word. And maybe there are some of you in here where you're not even willing yet to get on that wheel. You're still freaked out about this whole Jesus thing. And the Lord would say, would you trust my hands? Would you get on the potter's wheel? Would you let me mold you and shape you into who you've always wanted to become? But it will require surrender. And number four, it's going to require one more thing. It's going to require you to put on humility. There's an understood you, you here in Colossians 3.12, which means you have to do the putting on. See, humility is not a bad thing. Humility and meekness, we hear those words in America and we feel like those are like, you know, the big, the big bad words. Do you know the definition of meekness is really power under restraint? When it says Jesus was meek, it didn't mean he was weak. It meant he was so humble and yet he was, had so much power, but he used it only when necessary. He knew how to control that thing in a way that was powerful and effective. So when we say put on humility, when God says to avoid that pit, you're going to have to clothe yourself with humility. He's not saying to hate yourself. He's not saying go around walking around with your knuckles dragging on the ground, woe is me. He's saying to be humble in your heart. He's saying to see him as Lord and not yourself as Lord. He's saying to put others above yourself. He's saying to serve others, to put on humility. Look at Colossians 3.12. Put on, therefore, as God's elect, holy and beloved. That is who you are. Put on a heart of compassion. Guys, listen. It is a choice. I wore this today because I wanted to. I like red shoes. I like gold necklaces. And I love my black jacket. But I had to go to my closet, pick it out, put it on. And some of you are waiting for someone else to do that for you. You have to put on intentionally a heart of compassion. You have to put on kindness. You are not always going to feel like being kind. You have to put on humility and meekness and long suffering. Can I say something to you this morning as we finish? What you feed will live and what you starve will die. What attitude, what habit, what relationship you feed will live. And what attitude and what habit and what relationship you starve will die. See, in order to starve an attitude or a habit, it means you have to do the opposite of what you've normally done. So if it's my habit to steal, 
I've got to do the opposite thing and don't touch what is not mine. See, if I'm going to put on an attitude of, of humility, it means I'm going to walk into the room and say, hey, how are you? Not know, hello, here I am. See, what you feed will live, what you starve will die. My question is what needs to die? What attitude do you need to starve this morning? Can I ask you another question? What feeds your pride? What feeds you in such a way that tempts you to get so close to that pit? So close to that pit that you're almost all the way in. I plead with you to starve what is causing you to die. Starve the attitude. Starve the habit. And through the power of God's Spirit, be filled with the opposite of what God has waiting for you. And as we do that, we will begin to experience freedom. Those pits will no longer be a problem as we put on humility and as we number five and finally follow God's lead. You want to know one of my favorite scriptures? It's Jeremiah 33.3. And God says, call unto me and, and I will answer you. And I will show you great and wonderful things that you don't know yet. Why do I accidentally get emotional in that? Because I've lived on the pathway of pride. And I know it's destruction. I watched my father fall into each one of these pits. And some of you, God loves, he's loving us so much this morning that he, he's calling you away from the pit. He's wanting you to put away the pride because you want to know the truth, guys? He has great things for you. I wouldn't be where I am today had I not chosen to walk the agonizing path away from my pride. But he's so good. He's so faithful. He empowers us. The more we humble ourselves, the more we put on that humility, the more we choose to surrender, the more we make a conscious decision to follow him, the easier it gets to, to travel on the highway of humility instead of falling into the pitfalls on the path of pride. There are several great things that happen when we do that. You know the first thing that I noticed? My relationships were full. You enjoy a renewed fullness in your relationships. Guys, listen to me. That pride, as much as you think it's protecting you, it is preventing you from connecting to people. But when you're free from pride, there's, you connect. There's true community and trust in these relationships. You want to know, know what else you enjoy? You enjoy the feast of fruit on the path of your follow. I love this one. What does that mean? It means as you decide to follow, what you're really doing, everyone listen, is you're learning to walk in the spirit and not the flesh. And the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And see, when we begin to walk this thing out, we're walking in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, it is much easier to resist that pride. And there's fruitfulness on that path of the follow. You know, finally, what else we get to enjoy? This is my favorite. Is when I'm off of the pathway of pride and onto the highway of humility. I get to enjoy knowing, and so do you, that you're in the perfect will of God for your life. That you are going to accomplish your God-given potential and ultimately your destiny. But you can't do it with pride in your life. You can't get there with pride in your life. You can't be who God's called you to be because pride prevents your surrender. Pride prevents your repentance. Pride prevents true forgiveness. And pride prevents your follow. In fact, I want to say this. What pride really does is it traps you in a pit and prevents you from submitting to the necessary pressure of the master's hands, causing you to miss out on your God-given destiny. This morning, would you let him water your clay? Would you? Would you, would you open up your heart again to God? Would you allow him to mold you and shape, him, shape you until he has always, always wanted you to become? There's greatness for you. Here at Timber Creek Church, our mission statement is, your God-given potential is our mission. You wanna know why? Because it's really God's mission. It's for your God-given potential to be reached and accomplished so that other people, so that the world may know that he lives. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you. Lord, your word says, that your word actually can act like iron, smashing off things in our lives that don't need to be there. Your Bible also says, your word says that your word is like a mirror. Mirrors don't lie. Sometimes I avoid mirrors because I don't want to have to see what I look like at that moment. But Lord, I thank you for the mirror of your word that is standing in front of all of us this morning. You're so good that you don't want anything between us. You don't want anything to prevent our progress. Holy Spirit, would you add water to our clay? Just open your heart to him right now with no one moving, no one looking around. Jesus, would you Forgive us for the hardness of our hearts. Even if there's one spot of our heart that is hard, sweet Jesus, would you just pour the water of your love on that part? Lord, we want to be moldable and pliable and useful in your hands. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.